0: Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for downloading episode 154 of the Golf Unfiltered podcast. And I'm your host, as always, Adam from GolfUnfiltered.com. You can find me on Twitter, at Golf Unfiltered, and you can send me an email, GolfUnfiltered, at gmail.com. The golf ball distance debate is the hot topic in the last couple of weeks, and we bring back Mr. Mike Statura from Golf Digest for the third time to talk a little bit about not only the USGA annual distance report, but also about the article that he and his colleague E. Michael Johnson wrote on Golf World, uh, addressing some of the more popular debate questions or arguments for and against whether or not we should roll back the golf ball. Mike and I talk uh, about a lot of things in this episode that I think you're going to enjoy. We also talk about some of the uh, more interesting questions that have come up regarding golf ball distance. And of course, Mike, Uh, offers some very insightful responses as well as his experience with uh, the data that he's seen and the people he's spoken to. And so this is a great episode for those of you interested in the topic. And these days, if you're a golfer, you're probably interested in it. So just a couple quick shout-outs. First, to our friends over at the Hackers Paradise, uh, if you're listening to this on the THP radio app, as well as to our friends over at Cleveland and Srixon. As you guys know, I am playing their equipment this year, and I am very excited to finally get out and play some golf. The temperature is finally turned that corner, and it's getting warmer. So uh, also, quick reminder to go out to our Patreon page and... Offer some support to the show if you so feel like that's something you'd like to do. Uh, and thanks to all those of you that, who have uh, already done that. So, that's enough of that. Sit back and relax. Here is Mr. Mike Statura from Golf Digest. Enjoy. <laughs> so... Uh... Listeners, I'm here with Mr. Mike Statura again from Golf Digest. And Mike, we were just talking a little bit ago. Uh, You've had an extremely busy week, I imagine, with all this golf ball distance stuff.
1: Yeah, obviously, Adam, it's it's been uh, sort of hinted at by the the leaders of uh, both the RNA and the USGA that uh, uh, there was going to be this report in which we, we obviously knew this is the timing that the distance report has has come out the previous two years and so we were sort of looking for it maybe as as much as uh, three or four weeks ago and given some of the statements from both mike davis of the usga and martin slumbers of the rna there there were clearly things in this you know what is basically an update type of report i mean mm-hmm. the, the statistics that are in this report are not uh state secrets and, or hard to find out uh, in fact i had all the statistics that were going to be in the report for a, a month month and a half mm-hmm. uh they're that anybody can find them and uh uh you know so i think it's it was just more uh wondering what the exact tone of this Uh, annual distance report would be and you know you didn't have to read too deeply between the lines to kind of get that the the sense that the ruling bodies now at least officially on paper have indicated that distance is while not a problem is an issue that they're concerned about okay and they're using language like Mm. uh uh, we want to engage in a thoughtful conversation, and uh, there are some unusual uh, numbers that they're seeing in uh, the the uh, monitoring of the tours o- over over 2017. So it, it's a, a different tone than than that sort of perfunctory report has taken in the in the uh, previous two editions. So so yeah, it was a pretty I knew it was the the logic of it coming out uh on Mondays was not lost on me I mean obviously it comes out uh you know the day after a tour event where the field average was three three hundred and five point nine yards so <laughs> Right, right. That, that subtlety wasn't lost on me and uh kind of got my advance copy at seven o'clock in the morning and got to work on it and uh there's there's been a fair amount of industry reaction going forward. A lot of discussions. I, I think the, uh, I think the, the USGA and RNA. Uh, I don't know if they anticipated the reactions they were going to get. I think they were trying to navigate, uh, uh, maybe shape the tone of the conversation a little bit before the actual document came out. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think this is probably much, much bigger than they could have anticipated in terms of controlling the message the way they would want to.
0: Which is kind of surprising to me, because uh, this is something that we've been talking about for a while. I mean, this is the third time you've been on this podcast, and you and I have at least touched on the topic of golf ball distance every episode, I think, and you know it it has been you were absolutely right it it has been quite the response to this report and i think everyone was just kind of waiting for them to say something and the report that we're referring to listeners is the uh their usga's annual distance report and it's a very thorough report i mean it's not just a few data points there's there's a ton of data it's very well done and there's just a lot of different metrics that are within it and you've obviously, Mike, had, as you mentioned, you had it prior to publication. You had the chance to kind of dig into the statistics. What were some of the bigger takeaways that you, as someone who read it for the first time, what were some of the biggest takeaways that you got out of the report?
1: Well, you know, I think there were some some things that were fairly similar from past year's reports. I mean, I think one of the things that they like to highlight is, is – is there a bigger gap between the longest drivers and the shortest drivers? And that, that gap seems to be basically the same
0: now no.
1: where they are uh, on the ladder is, is a, you know, a different position than they, they were. But, you know, certainly when you see across the seven professional tours that they track, okay, they track the PGA tour, uh, PGA tour champions, web.com, European tour, Japan tour, the ladies European tour and the LPGA across those seven tours to see an average increase of three yards while again to the common golfer three yards is like nothing. You wouldn't know that if you cataloged a thousand rounds of your typical average golfers, you know, it's well within the noise, Mm -hmm. but that three yard jump is coming on the heels of, basically 14 years of 0.2 to 0.4 yard increases on an average annual basis i mean obviously there's been a lot of flexibility and and movement and variability in the numbers across multiple tours so it's not like it's a straight line up but essentially what you see is a an unusual one-year jump mm. jump and, th- and that's Surprising, uh, I think what was most surprising to me is that these jumps have occurred and the USGA and the RNA have not sort of overreacted to a one-year jump mm-hmm. uh, in the past. This time, I'm not saying they overreacted, but this this time it seemed they went to DEFCON 1 pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, you know... One of the biggest things, one of the biggest questions I had reading the report and seeing the response from the governing bodies was exactly what you just pointed out, was all of a sudden their eyebrows raise at this this data point that's between 2016 and 2017. And for me, someone who admittedly is in the, the area of, yeah, there's probably something going on here that we need to address from a distance perspective, what's more Mind-boggling in my mind, I guess, is the fact that trend-wise, even with all the te- technological advancements and what have you for the last however many years, the ball's going farther. Like no no one is disagreeing with that as a whole, but now suddenly a single data point from twenty sixteen to twenty seventeen, to your point, uh, suddenly people are are taking notice. Did that rub you in a, in, a, in a weird way?
1: It, not in a weird way, because I mean, literally, I live in these stats every year, every week, trying to understand where the numbers are going and trying, honestly, to get past the anecdotal Mm. because there is a huge anecdotal bias in this debate. And, you know, we can uh, argue forever that guys can hit it 350 whenever they want to hit it 350 with ease. If that were true, we wouldn't have seen, you know, this jump would have happened in 2017 we would have been seeing it constantly over time and and really when you look at the numbers the 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 things like uh percentage of 320 yard drives or uh correlation between driving distance and uh rank on the money list or uh lots of ins and outs there was not sort of this indication of any anything abnormal you know you did see in 2017 a essentially a a 40 percent jump in the number of 320 yard drives Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, that's, that's, again, if you're any kind that, that is weird, okay? Yeah, it is. Now, there, there are reasons behind that, okay? There are things going on that affect those numbers, okay? You have a, 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 a dramatic difference in uh, venue and weather conditions for three of the four major championships. That actually had an impact on uh, what the PGA Tour driving distance average was. Uh, I mean, there, there are things that you can look at that that say, well, I I know we have the sense of uh, moving up in a straight line, but mm-hmm. if you look across all tours, the numbers are pretty clear that from 2003 to 2016, the rate of increase annually in driving distance across all tours was basically a third of a yard. Mm. Uh, now, obviously, that means that over 14 years, there's five to six yards increase and at some point you're going to say, well, uh, if that line keeps going up, then in 25 years we're going to have uh, driving distance averages that are over 300 yards. Well, Mm -hmm. we're not quite 25 years down the road, but uh, uh, we're 15 years since the Joint Statement of Principles was signed when the ruling body said, okay, no more significant gains in distance, and that's a key phrase: significant gains. If you look at uh, the trend line and say, "Okay, well, yeah, where we are now compared to where we were uh, when you signed the joint statement," that's significant in some fashion. But how we got there over time was not the you know anywhere near the rate of increase that we saw. In the decade leading up to the Joint Statement of Principles, mm-hmm. so if, if that's your if that's your sort of calculus or understanding, okay, what happened from uh, 1993 to 2002? You know, you saw essentially 20 yards of of growth on the PGA Tour in driving distance in a very short period of time you haven't had another 20 yards of driving distance growth in the PGA Tour driving distance average in the, in the ensuing 15 years.
0: You know, mm-hmm. and it,
1: it, it, it's, I think, maybe one quarter the rate of growth in in the last 15 years since the joint statement went into effect compared to the 10 years leading into the joint statement. So with that in mind, you're saying, well, okay, it's not – a significant increase it's much less the level of increase that that caused us to be concerned back in 2002 and three when we got together on the joint statement so okay yeah it's going farther and and we see lots of players hitting 350 yard or 400 yard drives but the numbers that we are basing our decision on they're not reflecting that and Hmm. we've certainly done tons of studies to show, well, okay, are we, are we getting good numbers? Are we getting a driver being hit most of the time when, when uh, we're using those numbers to calculate uh, driving distance? They're, the USDA is doing that research to to sort of confirm this position that, yes, it's been a slow creep and, and it seems uh, we're in control. I mean, I go back to the old Dick Ruggy line as he was walking out the door, you know, mm-hmm. uh, About distance and and where he said hey you may not like the station that the train is in right now but the train is not leaving the station (laughs) and um and and that's that's a fair debate i mean you you may want driving distance to go back to 1990 and or 1995 or pick a year um obviously we're not there but i think what happened in two thousand and seventeen has made the ruling bodies who quite honestly uh, are not eager to get into this fight, but they're they're very protective about the the integrity of the game and that balancing of of the skills that they think are uh, required to be uh, an elite player, an excellent player, mm-hmm. a uh, what they view as, as what a champion golfer should be. And if one of those skills is is being overly rewarded or that skill requirement is being diminished, that's what is going to make them sit up and take notice. So I, I don't know exactly if you could say, oh, well, there's plenty of uh, evidence that, that this was happening and they didn't do anything i think they rightly or wrongly or are, are very focused on looking at the numbers in front of them and there really wasn't anything in the numbers that said we were seeing some sort of monumental shift in the way that we saw a monumental shift in the you know mid, mid and late 90s and early 2000s
0: mm. you know it's, it's funny too uh, the, the Point that you make about them wanting to protect the integrity of the game and, and what a champion should look like. I mean, I, I don't see the governing bodies as a group of folks that would pay such close attention to an anchored putter and then look the other way when there's just talk about about golf ball distance off the tee. And so, I, I certainly take your point. Um, in the days that followed the release of of your initial summary of the report, you and your colleague E. Michael Johnson over at Golf Digest and for Golf World wrote a uh, really a a great article kind of addressing some of the more frequently asked questions, I guess you could say, or some of the more popular arguments to and against uh, the golf ball distance debate. And one of the questions that I really liked and that I'm glad you included, and you even just touched on this a little bit ago, was we are seeing... Golf balls on TV flying a lot further in these pro events. I mean, you even point out that in last year there was a substantial jump in 400 yard drives to around 80, uh, when the previous year was much less than that. Now, obviously, there's playing conditions, there's climate, there's elevation, all of those things. But at the end of the day, television viewers might possibly have their opinion or perception skewed by that, couldn't they?
1: Oh, that, there's no question about that. I mean, you got to remember that. Every week, there's uh, in a normal week, there's 156 players in the field, and, and you're seeing maybe 10 or 12 or 15 of them on a broadcast, and you're seeing the best, the ones who are playing the best, and and uh, uh, you're not seeing, you know, Gavin Green hitting at 279 right. last week when the field average was 305. Um, so, I mean, I think. That's been a big uh, point of emphasis with the USGA's technical team in in trying to you know essentially get past the the anecdotal aspect of this because you know whether it was a- anchored putting or spring like effect or or grooves the. Perceptions were sometimes dictating the, the argument or dictating the debate. And I'm going to tell you, the guys in, at, at uh, the Research and, and Technical Center at the USGA are pretty dispassionate about this. What they are passionate about is doing the, the research. You know, they are into the work. They're not, they don't have an agenda. They're not... Uh, cheering for one side or the other but they are it's it's a science experiment okay Mm -hmm. and when something strange happens in the science experiment you're trying to figure out what happened Mm -hmm. and i think this this uh distance thing has been extremely studied you know you could make the argument that mistakes were made along the way uh when it came to allowing drivers with Spring-like faces. It, that mistakes were made uh, back in the in the early 1970s when they allowed solid-core golf balls. Mistakes were made when they allowed driver size to be 460 cc's and moment of inertia to be uh, 5,900 with a hundred point tolerance. You know, you could say that all those were mistakes, and if you hadn't made those mistakes if you had been firm maybe we wouldn't be here mm-hmm. you know i'm not saying the place that we would be would necessarily be a better place um and i think that's that's uh, kind of the calculus that uh, the, the people technically in charge of making the rules have to sort of figure out how to navigate uh but you know i, I I think that given that all those things were allowed to happen or, you know, certainly allowing a solid core ball in the seventies was a great idea because it really made the game much more affordable Mm -hmm. in a sense. Golf balls got much cheaper to make. Now what was lost in that decision was somebody could make a golf ball that, that, uh, spun like a wound ball on short shots wound a lot of ball and performed like a top flight two piece ball on driver and long shots and that that's one reason why we're here but I also think that there's there are a, a lot of competing factors I really don't am not convinced at this point that it is it is specifically a golf ball problem. I think mm-hmm. the the actual contributions of of the driver and how players have come to learn to use the driver uh, are are really making it a, uh, a different sort of event at impact, and and uh, you know you can you can I've saw, seen like three or four tour players. Tweet in the last few days that you know I'm, I hit my seven iron today the same way I hit my seven iron uh, when I was in college. Right. In the distance, the same. Now, I I don't. Those guys that are saying that are in their thirties.
0: <laughs> right. Right.
1: Okay. The guys who are in their twenties. I mean, I, I certainly saw Justin Thomas hit gap wedge over the green in the playoff from 160 yards. Now. Again, we get all loopy when we see that, but it's it's 160 yards, minus 15 percent for elevation, downhill, jacked up in a mm-hmm. playoff. So
0: yeah, well, that's it's just that too. I mean, we we go off of what's what what we see on television based on whatever graphics being shown and what the the commentators tell us is being hit which you know i mean that's probably not always 100% accurate and and as you just pointed out there's other metrics and variables involved and and i think most people understand that but one of the things that constantly comes up on social and other places when whenever, when whenever anybody talks about this debate is you know, the pros and the amateurs have to to play the same thing. And uh, honestly, Mike, I I just, I don't understand, and I'll give credit where credit's due. Uh, A former colleague of yours, Luke Kerdineen, actually said this pretty well uh, not too long ago. He said, I don't understand why it's so hard for people to grasp the concept of bifurcation. And, uh, you know, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but, I mean, is this a, a, a time when maybe we if we were to do anything, obviously the USGA and the RNA are going to go back and they're going to look at stuff. Could we be inching closer to an official bifurcation, or is that just completely, um, you know, off the table?
1: You know, I don't think anything's off the table right now. I mean, you know, I I think everything from rolling us back to persimmon and blotta to doing nothing <laughs> is on the table. Well, Link soul think- is
0: coming out with persimmon these days, so. <laughs>
1: Well, there you go so somebody's already ahead of the curve um, but the uh, I think the, the issue of bifurcation is sort of inextricably tied to one of the key tenets of the joint statement of principles okay so when you know people forget in the time that the joint statement of principles came out it was at a time when, a lot of crazy things were happening. Spring-like effect was really just starting to happen. The USGA and RNA were disagreeing on what the limit should be. The RNA was going to allow it at allow uh, a higher COR than the USGA was. Uh, cl- club companies were making RNA conforming clubs and USGA conforming clubs. Uh, some companies. Callaway, most notably, were introducing clubs that would not conform to any uh, rule for spring-like effect. So it was in that environment that the organization said, listen, we need to stand together, figure out what we think is important, and come out with a statement so that everybody knows uh, what we think about the rules and and where distance is going and and other aspects. And, And I think... Right in in that rule is or in that statement, in the very you know first few paragraphs of that statement is the R&A and the USGA continue to believe that the retention of a single set of rules for all players of the game, irrespective of ability, is one of golf's greatest strengths. The R&A and USGA regard the prospect of having permanent separate rules for elite competition as undesirable and have no current plans to create separate equipment rules for highly skilled players. Mm. That's like that's written in stone. Mm-hmm. So then we fast forward to the groove situation and Clearly, this there was this opening of the door for bifurcation, even though no one at the USGA or an RNA would even deign to admit that that was happening. Um, and I think we can say that they are more agreeable to that idea, and yet they have not indicated in any way that. Uh, that moving it to two separate sort of uh, set of guidelines or equipment specifications. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the main objection is it's a simpler game if we all play by the same rule. Mm-hmm. And we all use equipment. It's, it's a better industry if it, if it works out that way. The... Other problem is bifurcation is a simple concept that is wickedly difficult to enact and especially so if you're going to single one piece of equipment to focus that bifurcation on so i think that's that's been the hold up i i do think that uh bifurcation is probably more on the table because you know, even in the distance report, you see here's here's what we're we're seeing uh, the the best players in the world do. Here's here's this gap that's developing uh, with driving distance with the best players in the world. And oh, by the way, here's what we've seen happen with our admittedly very limited, but not so limited that we're not going to put it in this report here's what's happening to average golfer distance Mm -hmm. and average golfer distance is not threatening uh any unusual increases of eight yards over a a 20 yard 21 year span is is nice but it's not uh, a threat to the game and and i think the the Disparity between what average golfers do and what elite golfers do is probably widening, but we have to figure out what that definition of elite golfer is. And you know, there's a there's another side of me that says, if you bifurcate, if you decide that wherever you draw the line, that there is going to be this sort of restrictive type of equipment you know either a a a golf ball change or uh, kind of like a major league baseball wooden bat versus aluminum bat Mm -hmm. type of change if that happens are we perhaps seeing a future where it's not just an elite golfer change but it's certain types of golfers on certain types of clubs and courses and hmm. st- state golf associations. And there, there comes a point when, you know, you, you sort of lose, lose the rhythm, lose the focus. And, and all of a sudden, well, which rules are we playing today? And right. oh, your course use, uses the the throwback ball. Oh, well, I don't have any throwback balls. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, we we have them here. So it's just a, it's it's fine if you know if you can get over this whatever period that we have to go through to get to that period. Right. But uh, I, I think and, and you know weirdly silent in all all of this debate about whether we should have two sets of rules. It is the LPGA tour? Who <laughs> good point has you know right? They've seen some distance gains but they haven't seen anything crazy. And, and yeah, there are plenty uh, women on the LPGA tour who are, who can hit a, a drive three hundred yards on occasion. I, I mean, given the right circumstances, but they're not uh, they're not obsoleting golf courses. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I think. If the if the LPGA tour is in a position where we're elite players, so we're going to roll back because all elite players are, or oh well, you're not important enough to get <laughs> to have your, your your clubs and balls rolled back. <laughs> right. You know they they become sort of second class citizens and all this. That's probably we're probably not. Uh, globally in a good place to do that to make that move right Uh, so i mean I, i think it's the the problem with bifurcation is its simplicity it's very seductive as a solution when in practice we don't even know where to draw the line because the national championships are essentially a qualifying process Mm. that is based on your handicap, which is achieved and determined with what kind of equipment is it. A handicap has to be uh, posted with the equipment that you're going to use in, in this elite level competition. Mm. Well, how do we do that? Right. so then that sounds to me like well why would we bifurcate why wouldn't we just roll it back for everybody and oh yeah you mr uh average golfer with your 200 yard drive have some fun as you just lose another 15 yards and and uh um, so um, it, it's it's messy i like i mean i'd, I'd like the idea that that uh Major League Baseball players don't use aluminum bats for the simple reason that they would probably kill forty-three pitchers a year. <laughs> right, you
0: don't Correct. want to give Bryce Harper a metal bat. So <laughs>
1: exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, and and Bryce Harper, fifteen years ago, was he using an aluminum bat? Of course he was. Right. And and he had to make the transition because that's the rules when you're at the elite level. I, I think the, um, you know that that transition it's obviously made there are hundreds of college players who go on to major league baseball careers who didn't hit a wooden bat until they got into a ball or C ball or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, uh, um, you could make the case that maybe that's the solution. Okay. That, Mm uh, when you get to the PGA tour or when you get to the web.com tour or, or wherever the line is, all of a sudden your driver is 175 cc's and must be made of steel and you have to have a 100 gram shaft
0: yeah and then it just becomes more difficult uh you know following that that line of of logic uh then perhaps even bifurcation so you know it's a, it's a strong point mike and and you know one that that I think uh, you know, people like myself certainly have to understand that making a recommendation or a proposal to bifurcate—that's uh, fine in words, but in actual implementation, could be a lot more difficult. Um, you know, and I don't want to take up too much more of your time, Mike. But you know, along with some of the arguments that you and E. Michael Johnson outlined in your article. Um, There are many more that go out there that, and believe me, Mike, I've heard some pretty outlandish arguments one way or the other, as I'm sure you have too. And I don't want to put you on the spot, and I don't want to, you know, be controversial with this, but one of those arguments, and I just want to get your take on it, is this suggestion that perhaps, because there are not officials at every event that in the moment measure specifications and ensure that golf clubs are conforming that perhaps some players are playing with quote-unquote juiced clubs have you heard anything of that nature and or is that just completely off the wall
1: i wouldn't say it's completely off the wall i think it's i think it's tragic that the pga tour has essentially removed the ct machine and not made it standard practice that uh, every driver is is tested. I think the reason they've done it and it, it's not been stated publicly but originally the reason they removed them is because nobody was using them well obviously mm. nobody was using them because they didn't have to the The problem obviously from a PR standpoint is golfers are generally regarded as the most honest competitors in all of professional sport they they their image their image is why they're successful, not not just as uh, competitors, but the PGA Tour is successful because its athletes are never in trouble, its, its game is a very positive game, and it's a great sell for corporate. If you interject this possibility of guys using hot equipment by having it tested at every event, you maybe damage the brand, and nothing can damage the brand if you don't put things in place that might damage it. In other words, if you don't risk anything, uh, then you're you're kind of free and clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I don't think any um, I don't think any equipment company wants to put themselves in a situation where they are introducing product that is not made to a tolerance level that that uh, gets them in trouble yeah that's uh, is it theoretically possible i think it's certainly possible and i think if the fact that you and i are talking about it as being possible does not spur the pga tour to investigate the problem not just in a random way, but in a, okay, starting June 1st for all eternity, every Thursday morning, every driver is being tested of everybody in the field mm-hmm. and, and we do it again next week and the week after that and, and every week. And that's just how we do it. Um I, 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 I don't even understand why it's not part of the, the matrix, because at NASCAR, it, nobody is, is offended that my car has to go through inspection because everybody's car has to go through inspection. And I, right. I, mean, I, cover, I covered NASCAR 30 years ago, and, and it, it's, it's a tedious element that's part of the week, and mm. it should be a tedious element that's part of the PGA Tour week um i know that the usga routinely spot checks tour vans Uh, that's not necessarily a a a definitive uh, case that there that's being made you know there are ways to sort of get around that if that's Mm -hmm. what you want to do i don't believe that it that it's happening but i certainly recognize the possibility that it could be happening and in that recognition if i'm at the pga tour i don't understand why i wouldn't want to do everything i could to uh put that rumor to rest
0: i i agree that i also don't think it's happening um but to your point you know the fact that we don't check or at least have a method in place to assure us a hundred percent that no, this, this isn't happening. And this is the proof why we know it isn't Uh it's a risk point and something that you point out quite well. And, and certainly if we go so far, or if the tour goes so far as to implement that, then that in a way is kind of admitting that maybe there is a problem here insofar as our measurement system and our checks and balances. So interesting stuff i wanted to get your take on that and i appreciate you sharing it and listeners we're talking to mr mike statura again from the golf digest mike i always appreciate your willingness to to lend your time and uh i know it's late by you go get some rest and if anything else comes up we'll certainly bring you back on
1: i'd love to do it thanks Alan. this was fun